0: tell you about my suit first. Maybe you care about that, maybe you
1: don't. The first thing you need to know is these are tiny Elon Musk heads. And uh, this is a Twitter suit. In the lining here, there is a bunch of comments from Twitter about another suit this company made for me. This company is LGFG. And they came to me a couple of months ago and asked me if I wanted them to make me some suits, one for each of the rules from 12 rules for life. And uh, they sent a little deck of creative ideas And they were very creative. And so I thought, well, sure, why not? And so they've been working extremely hard and extremely creatively to make me these crazy suits. And so it's been kind of fun to wear them. I actually, turns out I like this. I didn't think I would necessarily this kind of powder blue with beige, but it seems to be real nice. So uh, it's fun. (laughs) Yes, it's fun. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, Left Reckoners. I'm not like with me, David Griscom. Hello, David.
0: Hey, Matt. You got your
1: Twitter suit? You know, uh, I haven't worn a suit in some time. Uh, That (laughs) also correlates Correlates (laughs) to me being employed uh, for quite some time um which is you know my job hunt actually I wore a suit more when I was unemployed than uh, when I was employed uh, <laughs> yeah, funny how that how uh, um but uh, yeah uh, how are you doing david
0: i'm not bad um stoked uh stoked for today still coming back off of this uh cold i had last week but yeah, feel good yeah weather
1: but as far as we know it's not covid although there's certain things you say that make it sound like it was something
0: i think it's cedar fever but yeah i'm still negative um I'm I'm on the mend. I just feel my voice is off, but um, appreciate everyone. Hope you all had a good th- Thanksgiving, Lord in heaven, uh, Christmas, and New Year's. Um, I had a pretty good time, apart from Texas uh, just completely imploding against Washington, which was not fun. Oh, that me. happened. I had a I had a meltdown on Twitter. I probably put up like fifteen <laughs> tweets about the state of the program at like midnight.
1: <laughs> I missed that entirely. When was that? Was that a New Year's?
0: whether there's the 29th um okay that was thursday last week but that's funny yeah i I
1: actually went out on christmas and stayed in on new year's uh interesting sort of gangs uh of people you see out uh, on christmas at bars (laughs) um (laughs) it was fun Uh, but david i don't want to skirt past what we just saw with uh, Mm -hmm. jordan peterson um and there's a few things that i wanted like kind of touch on you know there's this there's this uh twitter war going on about do young men need uh role models and it's it rhymes with conversations we have but i do think like part of it is lost when it it becomes like do they need to watch a better streamer or just yeah exactly to uh to uh, uh court them better and i think there's a few things that i would i do think need to be uh kept in mind just where we are and one is um, was mentioned by Patrick Fenelon on Twitter, which is his Pew poll. Um, U.S. Republican vote share by age within each generation relative to national average. Like, millennials are very not uh, Republican, and, and I don't think this is because of us. I would love to take credit yeah. for it. I do think it is true uh, that there it's probably never been easier to find more models of masculinity uh, than, you know, ever before. Um, so, like, I actually think, like, Part of the problem is be like it's some sort of part of the solution people want is happening or has happened, but I think it's mo- mainly because we haven't been able to you know cash in on capitalism the way previous generations have and see the benefit of you know owning things being the main source of your income. Um, mm-hmm. and I, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, you had anything else you wanted to say, but I also think if you do have a wayward youth, uh, young man or young woman. Uh patreon.com slash <laughs> left reckoning and we'll search
0: for it. Out. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> no, I mean uh I don't know. Have we made this public yet? Uh, but we had a uh, Cuba on the show recently where we watched uh oh, right. The End of Men. We should put that out there for folks for a more in-depth look at um you know some of the things that, that we're talking about because like you know, I think there's a couple things um <laughs> that are that can be true at the same time. It's one um you know people always are like well what what the left really needs is like the left wing jordan peterson and it's like fine i mean it'd be nice if you had somebody who had like a big following who was trying to promote mm-hmm. you know being part of a, a collective and 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 recognizing um the power that we have when we sort of lock arms together um and you know speaking to some of the anxieties that come with being young um in this country i think that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. um but i think sometimes you miss the uh the the current moment when you think that the reason the right has been able to make inroads is because you know they're they're doing that um the right does this because they recognize just like we're going to talk about it in a couple of minutes with the gop they recognize that people are alienated they right. recognize that there's a lot of despair in the society so they try to speak to the the despair and then promote their own kind of bs reasons why it is right so if Mm -hmm. if it's the gop more broadly it's the decline in living standards for working class people in this country and they blame not capitalism immigration blah 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 the right um does the same thing with young men you know people feel very alienated very alone very um atomized and they say well it's because woke feminism is is ruining society and I think that, you know, if we want to be serious um, about building, you know, winning politics, we have to be able to speak to the atomization um, that folks are feeling. and um, should be uncomfortable with that. But again, not mistaking um, the fact that like the rights there has been building some kind of not even just positive project in the sense of like the left, in the sense of like them actually like recruiting people. Because like if you watch, well, I'll put this out tomorrow. We should have put it out already. Yeah. But- if you watch our conversation on masculinity and the left with Cuba, um, you know one thing that's very notable about all these right-wing outlets is that what they tell you to do is work on yourself. Which I think a lot of people should work on themselves. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, being yeah. healthy is a good thing. You know, taking recognizing where your sort of limits are and where you can push past them is a good thing. I do think that on the left, sometimes people are very, very. Um, worried about talking about that kind of thing. I don't think that that's a good tendency that we have on our side. Right. Um but if you watch the right Yeah, way- can I
1: just jump in there like and just to like uh characterize it a little bit, um, which is like this idea that you say like these young men are choosing this because of uh x and y structural uh political reason and it's like yeah that's true why are the other ones not (laughs) right like Mm -hmm. right like you can't just like naturalize it to the point where it becomes like well what's the point of anything um like there's there's like i i think it is too like negative um too like um alarmist uh often when people look at this
0: you know, but I would also, you know, just, um, you know, adding to that though, it's like, if you watch the right wing stuff, what they always tell you is, um, they don't tell you to really go out and be a part of society. Like if the problem is that yeah. you're lonely and atomized, right. Um, they'd say, well, the reason for that is that you're fat or, you know, you're, you're not interested you haven't, uh, read, um, um, 12 rules for life or whatever, um, And if you're not getting the results that you want, well, you need to watch more seminars. You need to get more supplements. You need to be more and more enmeshed in this kind of right-wing online individual sitting by yourself alone uh, matrix. So you see that there's no real um, solution there. Um, Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, if I were just to say one thing, and this isn't supposed to be a segment or anything like that, but if I were just to say one thing is that like. One thing I do worry about and I do see on the left is something I talk with Michael a lot about is that there's a very large cultural side to the movement. I'm not talking about culture politics or anything like that. I'm talking about like the stuff that people are into, like what they like to consume when it comes to like art and media and things like that. There's a version of that that's dominant. And a lot of that just has to do with this like young people culture, right? These are just like things that young people are interested in. Um, But we should be able to be a little bit broader. In our scope, in our outreach, not just to everybody in society, but particularly young people, because you know there is a kind of humor, there are kinds of TV shows, kinds of music, and things like that that I think um, you know sort of dominate and create an air that, like, if you're not one of those people who's like into that kind of shit, you're not welcome there. I don't know if that was just my experience because you know when I was in my early 20s, I was in DC and New York, and maybe culturally because it's a different part of the country, um, I felt very alienated sometimes um i don't know it's just like i think that like what's been frustrating to me about that whole thing that we've seen over the past couple days has been when it's like no people don't need to be fucking watching vouch to like learn how to be a man i think that that's a pretty disastrous yeah and um, vouch
1: doesn't need to like change his like content particularly to like meet them like and like like show them like how to meet women like i like if um i i Like, yeah, go. Sorry. I cut you off. Go on. No, I mean, I was
0: just going to say, but what has been frustrating to me is that there does seem to be, again, not that it's all like misplaced, but there does seem to be like a real pushback against like the idea even of like trying to make parts of being a socialist more attractive to people who aren't already sort of pulled into the, the kind of cultural web that I think does push people in that direction.
1: Yeah. I think that's the ultimate thing is like, it it's a spiritual response ultimately and like fundamentally like look jordan peterson listeners w- what young men like your 16 year old jordan peterson what you need to hear is bro you made a fucking wrong choice and you need to put that shit in reverse because it's going to fuck you up you're going to be wearing elon musk ties um and and uh, uh yeah um uh I kind of lost my train of thought there. um, about Well, anyway, I mean,
0: just on this, um, you know, um, we'll put it up tomorrow for people who aren't patrons, but you should be a patron, patreon.com slash left reckoning. If you didn't see the conversation we had with Cuba on the end of men um, and this kind of right wing push that, you know, the crisis of masculinity um, is going to be solved with ball tannin, um, you know, you can hear maybe some more well formed thoughts uh, on on the subject
1: yeah yeah <laughs> reminded it brought me back to my dark uh, period of being unemployed and trying to date at the same time like those are the things like like that is difficult right like those things because of but that's like it's very economic and not because you know um uh yeah but uh um yeah check that out folks i uh i i i forgot how apposite and relevant that uh, conversation is uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I know,
0: <laughs> realized midstream um well, we got a fun uh, show coming up. Uh, we're gonna, in a little bit. We're going to be joined by Bronco March Teach, uh, who's one of my favorite writers at Jacobin. Um, on to talk a bit about the the Twitter files. Um, you know, we talked about Matt Taibbi, and I think the the right analysis of how that very much in my opinion was like journalism malpractice. Um, But I think in the past few weeks, there has been a sort of overreaction where people have sort of recognized like, Oh, well this is being released in a certain way and by certain people to serve a certain purpose. Therefore all the stuff that's coming out shouldn't alarm you or be of interest to you. And to me, I'm sorry folks. Uh, Maybe I'm just a, you know, an old lefty from way back. But when I hear that the FBI is trying to play a major role in content moderation, uh, you know, uh, I get a little worried. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that. What's really in there that I think has sort of been missed, um, I think both nationally, but I think more consequentially um, by those of us on the left um, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I uh, I uh, am not there. It's not a protest. Um, I really appreciate Mar- uh, Broncos writing uh, on the topic. Um, I still think like, and I don't think Broncos is with this, but like the, the way even the Fong, which I agree with David is, the first i think uh semblance of journalism that came out of that whole thing you still have to say like this was done in conjunction with the lawyer but um that said i also agree with the point bronco made in this uh, interview which is the it's a big shame the the way that it's been uh sort of uh, rolled out because it does seem sort of tailor-made to uh leave the mm-hmm. people who it's i think frankly most relevant to um to completely dismiss any of the things that are um revealed to folks whether it's opportunistic or not um for like a fucking loser like uh, elon musk and it does remind me of uh, death is just around the corner one of my favorite podcasts on the jfk uh, conspiracy stuff is how that recent tucker carlson shit and them sort of and the candace Owens zine of like oh the cia basically just admitted we're all going to be like that that's it's poisoning the well Mm -hmm. um and uh uh, and so like i i was uh, glad that we uh, had brinko on for this
0: and I, I reckon that Matt. And i probably going to have a little bit more to say about it after the uh, that that goes on. But before we get to the the Twitter conversation, Matt, I did want to open up the show, starting out 2023, trying to think a little bit more seriously about uh, the Grand Old Party, the Republican Party in this country, yeah. um, because we've seen uh, today in pretty spectacular fashion um, that party failed uh, to elect um, a Speaker of the House. Um, I think it's very likely that they'll be able to. Uh, pull one out though. I don't follow congressional inside politics close enough to have any kind of prediction about what's going to happen. Um, I thought I...
1: vaguely closer and also no, no idea. Who knows? <laughs> um, I hope uh, think... Herschel Walker, I think Herschel Walker should get to be the speaker. That's my, that's who I'd vote for.
0: Um, and as Ben reminds us really quick before we jump into that, we should remind folks that uh, um,
2: we're going to be in New
0: York City in just uh, a couple yes. of weeks. Matt is already there, but I'll be joining him January 22nd at the um, Cutting Room uh, with our friends Ben Burgess, Jason Miles, Sam Cedar, Emma Vigland, um, and Baskar Sankara. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Y'all can get tickets. There's links below um, in the show notes. Um, so make sure that you come and join us for that. Um, but let's get to this opener. Uh, Matt, because so we've seen the the GOP, you know, implosion on this question. Um, But I want to talk about something else that we've seen um, since, you know, this new Congress is is set to start, um, which is the fact that one of the first things that the GOP has promised to do is to undermine um, the Congressional Staffers Union. And it's really egregious. And for people who aren't familiar, you know, this was a huge fight. Um, for congressional staffers who, you know, this is one of those things that I don't think gets a lot of play with folks because they don't understand those dynamics, Um, but are incredibly overworked, are paid pennies to the dollar um, for what they're actually producing. Um, They're abused by um, their, their, their congressional employers regularly. And it also creates a situation where getting a job in politics really becomes something that you have to have money to do. Because despite the prestige that might come with saying, oh, I work on the Hill, I'm a congressional staffer, the salary doesn't match with that, mm-hmm. um, which means that it's rich kids um, who end up becoming some of the most influential people in American politics. And, you know, most of these co- people don't know. Um, for example, what's on all these bills. So the people who are feeding them information have a lot of power and influence. Um, and it creates this dynamic where the door is very much shut to working class people, um, despite their credentials to get into that position. So they won this fight um, to to get a union there. And uh, this new GOP Congress is trying to undermine that as one of their first acts.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to, what you mentioned, just kind of set this off this. Have you seen this Maxwell Frost thing? This, uh, um, RNC Richards, Florida Democrat congressman elect Maxwell Frost, whose salary as a member of Congress will be uh 1700 says he's probably just going to, uh, like have to couch serve for a bit. Everyone's like crazy that that see like that it's difficult to like attain housing or something like that. Like DC is a very expensive uh, city, but anyway, sorry, I, I jumped in. Um, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. it, it is
0: a big, it is a very expensive city. And like, um, this was a hard w- won fight. Um, the question about whether or not they'll be able to do this is still up in the air. I know David Dayen, um was saying they probably don't have the authority or a real pathway to doing it. Um, but regardless of, of that fight, which I think is important, something we should highlight, solidarity with the Congressional um, Staffers Union. Yeah. Um, I think it really highlights something about the GOP, which I know our audience already knows, but I want to talk about it a little bit more theoretically, is that... The GOP is not a working class party. neither is the Democratic Party. let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, but there's been this narrative that the GOP is more and more, you know turning its its attention to working class people's issues. and nothing could be further from the truth. and I think the fact that they're already trying to undermine people's right to co- rights to collectively bargain um, shows that. Um, both the Republicans and the Democratic Party locked arms. Um, when the railroad unions were trying to fight for a better contract and denied them their democratic rights to strike. And you're seeing it again, play out um, with the GOP. So all of this kind of talk is nonsense. Um, But just because neither parties are quote unquote workers parties, um, doesn't mean that these parties aren't interested in the distribution of resources. And I think sometimes you know we talk about the GOP and we recognize that it represents a far-right movement, it represents a nativist movement, it represents a racist movement, it represents a, a movement that is against workers' rights and regulations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they miss sort of what the social base of the Republican Party is. And um, I think to understand this, you have to look at the social base of what the Re- Republican Party is. The Republican Party is a party that is made up of Small town, small-time landowners, small-time capitalists, to use Marxist terms, uh, petite bourgeois, um, who are interested in things like distributive uh, policies from the state. Think about things like PPP loans. They love that shit. Um, as we have loved to point out the hypocrisy of all these kind of right-wing Trumpers who work, get worked up about people fighting for minimum wage increases who somehow got a million dollars from the state um, forgiven. Um, They love redistributive policies. As long as it's going to them, you see it again in tax breaks and farm subsidies. Um, The the democratic party operates under similar logic Um, too. It just has a different social base. Both of these parties are parties that look out for elite um, interests, but their social base is different. Um, And let me just pull this up. This is from an excellent piece um, from 2020 um, called the fault lines uh, by Dylan Riley in the new left review. And he writes here, the types of redistributions, um, redistribution that appeal to the Republican mass base differ from those demanded by the Democrats. Republicans are oriented to forms of state largesse, like farm subsidies, handouts to small businesses, and protect- protectionist trade tariffs. In place of credentialing, the Republican base demands other forms of social closure based on race, mm-hmm. nationality, citizenship status. Accordingly, they demand restrictions on immigration and a general defense of borders, citizenship measures that enable redistribution within the native population alone. In sum, both parties are redistributive coalitions engaged in a zero, um, in a zero-sum struggle, using political mechanisms to transfer income to their constituents, constituents um, both at elite and mass levels. In conditions of slow in growth, U.S. politics has become frozen in a highly polarized pattern with little possibility of a definitive breakthrough on either side within the framework of the existing electoral state system." And I think being able to understand this kind of thing as socialists and Marxists is really crucial um, because I think a lot of people, and it's understandable, they might prefer a Biden over a, a Trump. Um, um, but they sometimes, I think, miss the fact that these are both ruling class parties. Um, that are interested in redistributing resources and power and wealth to different parts of the American ruling class and the American elite. Um, And where you really start to see this um, is in um, in terms of like voter data is in terms of college education, right? And college education in this country has been used as a stand-in for class, which can be sort of helpful. Like honestly, if you're trying to do like real meta-level data analysis, Probably is a pretty decent tool to use. It might not be the Marxist analysis, but you see why people u- utilize it um, so i 'm not saying that you should never use that, but it again obscures some of these very clear uh, dynamics um, because you know the the you can create the situation where you think well people who don 't have uh, a college education are necessarily working class, which is not true in a lot of cases um, and the the Republican base is not necessarily um, this this kind of group grouping of you know forgotten working class people um these are different groups um and they're trying to get rewards um in material ways from these different parties but this is something that's very very different from like class politics at this point, I think it's undeniable from a political science standpoint that you can see two very wildly different Americas politically relating to whether or not somebody has a college degree or not. But a degree cannot be used as a placeholder for class, because even if you see the division between GOP and Democratic voters on education status, there are even bigger divisions in the Democratic Party, for example, between people who support more Bernie Sanders style politics versus Joe Biden um well you know the Bernie Sanders coalition was made up of a lot of people who might have a ba but not people who have these more professional degrees and therefore probably are getting higher amounts of of income um you know Sanders really got um a lot of his support um from these kind of ba holders who were working these quote unquote like low status jobs a lot of people on the left have gotten really caught up in this debate about the pmc the professional managerial class And I don't want to wade into all that too much right now, but I think it's absolutely critical to note that among low status degree holders, right, people who do the vast majority of labor in white collar, which is, again, a very antiquated term now, um, work, are increasingly becoming more and more proletarianized, meaning that the security and abundance that they might have had with a college job in the 60s and 70s has been evaporating. Mm -hmm. And that's just looking at people who have those jobs, which is not the vast majority of them. Uh, we now see in our generation that the promise of a college job, um, college education has not really lived up uh, to the expect- expectations. So the question about politics really becomes, which way will that group go? Marx used to chide the middle class, right? Um, but always with this kind of X. Ex- and also remember, this is like in the 1800s. So we're talking about the middle class, um, very different from how we used the middle class in America to sort of represent people even on the higher end of like the wage labor spectrum. Um, But anyways, Marx used to chide the middle class, but always with this expectation that sooner or later, um, they would line up with a proletarian political movement. Capital has been really devious in the United States and Western Europe, trying to tie more and more of people's life into the needs of the market. Very small pie compared to capitalists, um, but significant to you. And what I mean by that is like you see home ownership become something that becomes a financial product, right? Something that seems out of reach to all of us, but something that used to be sort of the hallmark of a good union job is that you could buy a house. Well, that becomes something that becomes a financial product. So then it does matter to you if these policies are sort of beneficial um, to, to, to the capitalist markets in the United States. Even if you have a very small sliver, it's something that matters to you. 401ks, um, the way that a lot of people's retirements are set up also do this very, very small portion compared to the capitals class in this country, but enough to make you care. Um, So capital has done a really good job at trying to um, wedge divisions between wage workers in this country. Um, People who have to sell their labor in order to survive between people on the higher end of that wage spectrum and people at the lower end of of this wage spectrum as well. So, excuse me. So what we see with the with the GOP is that they are speaking to certain kinds of anxieties and realities of working people in this country, deindustrialization, globalization, neoliberalism. But of course, their solutions are always, um, (laughs) you know, wage war on immigrants, lower taxes, protect the wealthy, Um, but they speak to folks. And what happens in a country like the United States, where you don't have class politics, You don't have like a working class party. This politics becomes very, very incoherent and strange where you do have sections of the working class who might be supporting the GOP. And I think it's really important, too, when we're talking about this kind of thing to remember that the most popular um, party when it comes to working class voters is none, um, because working class voters in this country overwhelmingly do not vote. Um, But you see these kind of things like, what does this mean? Right. We're seeing some kind of uptick in um, working class voters, maybe voting for the Republican Party. Is this the Republican Party's becoming a working class party? No, it's that different people have different kinds of needs and they're trying to get those answered, right? Maybe wrongly or wrong rightly. Um they're trying to get those answered. And this is the constellation in front of them. It's very incoherent. Um it purposefully is incoherent. And I think it's really important for us who are trying to build a different kind of politics than just trying to like revitalize the Democratic Party. Um you know have to be able to recognize that the the kind of weird system that we have right now is a direct result of neoliberalism and um, and uh, the lack of any kind of real class politics where people who do have these anxieties don't have a place to go because as bad as it is in a state like Texas um, you know, one thing that worries me very much is that there's this kind of fixation was like, well, if we can just turn it blue, things will get better. California, um, you know, has a, has a inequality level similar to Mexico, right? And that's a, a state that has been controlled by the democratic party for a long time. So the point is we have two elite parties that aren't interested in work, fighting for working class people. You saw it as clear as you ever will see it uh, when they both locked arms to deny railroad workers, the right to uh, collectively uh, bargain and go on strike if need be. And I think understanding the social base as to why there are sections of the ruling class of the wealthy in the society um, who are interested in the Republican Party and why there are sections of the ruling class who are interested in the Democratic Party really will help us trying to build out a, a different kind of political alternative to this um, because you have to recognize, that the Democratic Party is interested in looking out for the elites that are in their corner, and the Republican Party is looking out for the elites in their corner. And if we want to build a new kind of class politics, a new kind of politics in this country, we do have to be building up and trying to pull people into, you know, a kind of politics that really does speak um, to their material needs, speaks a language of universalism, speaks a language of, of class politics because it's completely absent. And you're going to see all these kind of weird aberrations um, and, and openings for the right wing um, in its absence.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a few things, uh, I really liked about there. One was like the, the section on Trump sort of reluctantly, uh, let me pull this up here. Um, uh, Trump basically being a cut. Oh, damn it. I'm have this up um we're talking about the vaccine are we talking about the new life review piece here the seven thesis because uh you, that, that's
0: that's by dylan riley too this yeah, is from they're... this is from fault lines but yeah bring that out because that's an okay, i think yeah. a very excellent piece some people got you know we're chatting a little bit but i thought it was a very good attempt at like working through what bidenism is because it is something that's both unique and more the same yeah
1: yeah i found this uh how then uh to un uh, understand the strange creature basically um uh, we'll just go to the very first uh, paragraph here just to reach, read the thesis of this because I think it's very interesting. Um, for most of the 20th century, US political parties represented a different different coalitions of capitalists. And this is like people don't understand. This is like it's important to understand, and this is remedial for some folks, that these are two capitalist parties yeah. and what that actually means. And that's <laughs> uh, um, uh, Wait, right. Really quick, man, not to cut yeah. you off,
0: but like this is one thing that really infuriates me about a lot of like independent left media. Is that the point of talking about these things for a lot of folks seems to be who should you feel happy about when you see on the TV screen and who should you be mad about when you see them on the TV screen? Um, Which I think is very different from the project that we're trying to build here. It's like, how do we understand the world that we're in in order to try and change it? Anyway.
1: Right. Um, So for most of the 20th century, U.S. political parties represented different coalitions of capitalists who appealed to working class voters on the basis that they would promote – economic development, expand job opportunities, and generate revenues to invest in public goods. This was the material basis of consent that re- determined party success at the polls. A local version of the politics that shaped most capitalist democracies during the long post-war boom um, produced significant electoral swings. That political landscape, uh, as in Howard Johnson, Nixon, that political landscape has now disappeared beginning in the 1990s and definitively since uh, 2000. Republican and Democrat rule alternates in the narrowest margins. And it's interesting because talks a little bit about how like the new deal era wasn't necessarily because of class struggle. It was as much to do with war mobilization, but nonetheless it led to Keynesianism and that sort of state investment, um, Mm -hmm. uh, into sort of a capitalist state. Um, and basically we've undergone a similar sort of thing like that, uh, regard in COVID, but it happens in a time of, uh, of low, uh, profitability, which means, you know, um, it's not as not, not the same conditions of, uh, original, like new deal Keynesianism. Um, and, and there's this other section here, uh, uh um, I want to get on to because there's, so, uh, the shift in wor- specifically about workers without a college, ed- um, uh, mm-hmm. education, um, the shift in white workers without college degree to the Republican party is best understood not as a process, uh, of Class D alignment, which is like, you know, what people have been trying to uh, posit as for a while, uh, but rather as a consequence of GOP's successful bid to appeal to the interests of a particular fraction of the working class in a nativist in nativist and racist terms. The key point is that the segments move to the Republicans should not be explained in terms of attitudes or prejudices. Rather, those attitudes should be seen as resulting from this class's frat. Uh, fractions objective situation: the organization of the white working class as white or native workers as native is in many ways a rational strategy for workers who have the opportunity to constitute themselves as such in a context where class identity is nowhere evident. And that's the, that's the, you know this is the context everyone operates in by keeping out immigrants and keeping down non-whites. The white working class or native working class seeks to increase the value and attractiveness of its labor power. It's not mm-hmm. simply that such a strategy is based. This is not to imply that such a strategy is based on an accurate analysis or that it is likely to succeed. The point is to simply uh, uh, that the policy preferences of the non-college educated are understandably pragmatic, without having to attribute to this group a fanaticism uh, that it, uh, which it does not hold. And I think this is like a true way to account for. Am I am I uh, breaking up? Um, i'm i'm i'm
0: I'm hearing you're a little you're coming into me like
1: the obama voter who then voted trump right like that seems very clearly um yeah no i mean um this is
0: one thing that i think is is really crucial um to to understand um that like you know the the question is like the, the the way that a lot of liberals like talk about this thing is like oh these people are voting against their interests it's like the The bigger question has to be is why are these interests appealing to people rather than folks having like false consciousness or not understanding their circumstances um it's It's rather to understand why this is appealing to folks if your goal is to try to win you know different working class groups and it's bad. It's a bad thing that these things are appealing to folks. It's not going right. to say that these things are right, um but this kind of like they don't understand what's what's going on. It's like no they do, and it's a bad logic. it's a bad direction for things to go um yes. it's not an excuse here. Um, but yeah, but it's also like
1: with... the liberal part where it's like this is just about the hate in their hearts and they don't like brown people like it reminds me of what the field sisters say about uh, slavery, which is that it wasn't designed to produce racism It was designed to produce profits and racism was a byproduct like mm-hmm. even like the, even the, like, the and, and, and I do think like you'll see Tucker Carlson saying this is clearly like we're we have a culture of supremacy to people who are trying to replace us like that stuff is, you know, not this, but I think when people are going and motivated by like the wall shit, it was that calculation. Um, It wasn't like I'm superior to these people. It's like, I want fucking more money at the end of uh, Mm -hmm. the pay period. And these people are threatening it and I'm looking out for me. Uh, And that's a different type of that's, that's it's, it's bad, um, but it's a different type of thing to understand.
0: And lastly, like I I want to talk just briefly about, the point I was making earlier about the proletarianization of, you know, this college educated class in this country, because a lot of people get really worked up about this kind of thing. And, you know, there are certain aspects of, of, I, I don't think that people shouldn't take, for example, like a criticism of the left as being too quote unquote PMC, um, lightly and saying to just, you know, ignore it, you know, across the board. But I think it's created a very strange, um, reality on on the left, where if you look at a lot of the places where there are a lot of union efforts, it is coming, um, for example, from, you know, or or even more militancy, it's coming from teachers, right? Um, It's coming from people who have these kind of, you know, degrees. And we should recognize that this is a good thing, actually, not that the fact that people are suffering um, and, and are feeling like they need to fight back in order to survive. Um, but the fact is, like, there has been a militancy amongst this kind of educated class of workers in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a way that a lot of people sort of react to this in a, in a negative fashion that I think is really unhelpful, because what we have to be doing is building a, a socialist working class movement that is including and, and um, you know, activating this kind of, of of militancy that we are seeing, because... You know, we were on TIR a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the, um, you know, the grab worker strikes that are going on, um, that have been going on all across the country. And yeah. like, one of the things is that university work has become something that's very proletarianized. It used to be something like the intelligentsia it used to be considered like a different class, right? Because they're sort of shielded from the ebbs and flows of capitalism, right? And the idea for that is that like, you want people sort of outside of society to be able to think so that we can push, you know, human knowledge further. Well... That's shown to be been shown to be completely nonsensical because the the market realities that we're all under are very much coming to the universities and the, this kind of class of of, of folks who at maybe in the fifties and the forties and the sixties et cetera may might have been a little bit more shielded um, from the brutal realities of neoliberal capitalism aren't anymore um and seeing this as a as a potential to grow a working class base would be something that the left should embrace rather than trying to um you know create a dynamic um we're, we're we're treating everybody with suspicion um you know, i mean
1: that's a- that drives me crazy i mean you saw it in the context of all the tech worker layoffs too it's like these people make one hundred and twenty thousand. like yeah you live in san francisco um see so yeah. yeah, like how lavish of a lifestyle is nice i imagine uh, more than i make but like like this idea and and that that, that should be like we should be engendering jealousy of that as opposed to saying yeah everybody should have the health care that those fucking um uh twitter employees have everyone should have like the quality of life and the ability to like maintain their uh like home and where they live in their community like people should be as empowered as that yes but like this way where it's switched into a faux class politics of like saying actually those workers got more than uh, they should have uh given X or Y cultural sort of um, complaint. Yeah. yeah, And like, I I will say that
0: like, it's not that there's, these things are without questions. You saw this was happening a lot when some of the tech union efforts were trying to expand. And I think in, in a good way, right. To include other people at the facilities. Well, there are sometimes are different interests for people who are, you know, janitors at a Twitter facility versus, you know, Um, employees but the point is um, you know and and you saw that unfortunately negatively um, happen with the attention because nobody gave a
1: fuck on the right like no like there was no it's funny how like the the people who are celebrating like x y twitter engineer getting fired because they you know made so much for doing whatever none of those people were like yeah fire those janitors uh, which I thought like come on show the courage of your convictions (laughs)
0: that's true too i mean well the point is that like so i mean it's not that there aren't pitfalls when you're trying to build a broad-based working class movement in this country and the point is to align all those interests together not to try to find ways to do the work of the right to do the work of the capitalist class and trying to wedge you know drive a further wedge between all these different groups because it's starting to happen i don't like the word organically or spontaneous spontaneously right yeah um but there is um you know, a lot of mobilization that's happening right now. And like, maybe that is the kind of kickstart that's needed. And, um, I don't know, like the thing is like, when you talk about class in America, it's very complicated because we use college education and we use income, um, to define that, which are not the same kind of conceptions as a Marxist one. I think it's very obvious to anyone with a brain that you're living a very different life. If you're working for $30,000 a year versus $120,000 a year, regardless of where you are. Right. Or if you Um, went to college what or, you went, or you went to college yeah
1: um
0: but the point of you know socialist marxist politics has always been that we live in this very complicated matrix of culture and ideology and history and geography and all these different things that make um building a, a kind of cohesive or coherent political movement difficult that's why it doesn't typically happen that's why the strongest Political movement in this country, I mean, uh, d- determiner in this country has always been geography from the get-go in American politics. It's because class politics has been limited. Geography ends up typically uh, being destiny politically. Um, the, po- the, the promise of building a winning movement has to is, has always been that there's a reality. Do you work for a wage or do you not work for a wage? That unites people across a lot of different spectrums. Um, and we should be able to embrace that while understanding that there are some of the pitfalls that come uh, with some of these things.
1: Anyway. And, you know, what? oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, you were. I was gonna I was just going to say
1: in retrospect, that's why the crypto shit also bugged me, because that was a whole thing about how you can make a living without doing any work and just owning shit and how you, right. too, can just own shit for. And and I, I just it's just wild to me. People don't make the connection that you Okay, I bought this monkey gift and then sold it to some other dumbass for a million dollars. And now I get to just go order on wage workers in my area for years on this amount of money. And you did nothing. You contributed nothing to society. Mm -hmm. That's just like, that's a sickness that we can't recognize that is wrong uh, just fundamentally. But no. and we don't because you know that's the way Elon Musk and all those people make theirs too. So it's like why? I understand like we're democratizing being a leech on society like capitalists are. Um, but yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So I don't know. We we'll keep on trying to work through this because I think that having a stronger contemporary understanding of like what the GOP is and what the democratic party is beyond just like, Oh, we think these parties are bad and elite parties, but sort of like, what is the engine of, of their, of their political success. And, you know, in other cases, their failures. Um, I think it's something that's really important for us. If like the goal is to try to build a working class party that's separate of these two entities, you got to understand the, the fucking board, if you want to do that, man. Yeah. Um, so hoping to try to build a deeper analysis in 23, you know, I-
1: uh, one more thing about this new Left review piece is uh, I just, if you want to bring up something before we sort of sidebar onto this, we can, um, it's this thesis for Democrats relative success in the 2022 midterms is a reflection of his particular social base. And what's interesting to me is like, that's something that I, and I, I was on the Vanguard with uh, Gavin and Zach and I, I hinted at like, this has been something that's on my mind that it, we're not addressing properly because everyone talks of as if like, biden and the democrats are failing and they might not be failing right like he says uh, um uh, given the character of mass bases of the Republican and Democratic parties, it is unsurprising that Democrats now seem to outperform Republicans in midterm elections. Uh, they will undoubtedly continue to do so because the Democrats' base be more educated is more likely to be engaged in electoral politics. While GOP currently benefits from the most, uh, from most from the inequities of the Constitution, Republicans also now have an advantage of being firmly tied to the, fract- to the fracture of the electorate that is less likely to turn on the midterms, non-college educated whites. In terms of our analysis, Democrats very success. This isn't the part I was talking about, but like they they reference like everyone acts like the Democrat, but they're kind of winning as the capitalists. Oh yeah, um, and like that they seem set up to do that.
0: What was what was Bidenism, um, but like a synthesis of of parts of the the um, 2012 Obama coalition with suburban voters that mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. Right, like that's 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 what pulls Biden over the top, uh, yes. Particularly in states like Georgia, you know, um, you know, or even in Texas, like even places that he lost, like those inroads have been very attractive to the Democratic Party. One, um, because functionally that's like their real base, right? It's not, you know, they're happy to to have the working class people who vote for them, but they aren't interested in giving them anything or even to really cultivating or building that that power, um. They love, uh, you know, wealthy suburban voters who are trending more and more to the Democratic Party, and they yep. can easily include them in that distribution, the, the redistribution model that they're setting up.
1: Um, um, here's, yeah, this uh, section here. The American left is in the grip of three illusions about domestic politics. Uh, in understanding U.S. politics, it is of utmost importance to grasp the electoral strategy of the Democratic Party. In this regard, three common illusions of plague left analysis. The first is the notion that the obvious path of electoral success is to appeal to the American working class in class terms, the demo- and and this is what the mistake people were making when they said, "If they don't do this, then they're going to lose." Yes, right. Like, and and that's not like we've we, I guess we've seen like the fr- I think, um Yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I think this is a, a myth that like really needs to be dispelled. Is that it's not that you can only win with you know, for example, a Bernie Sanders style, you know, program. Uh, we've seen very clearly that that's not the case. Um, the problem is, is that. One, it creates a perpetual situation where the Republicans can continue to build up that social base we're talking about. And mm-hmm. it creates bad policy. <laughs> yeah. It's a really dangerous policy right. because the social base they're interested in rewarding is not working class people. It's, it's people the top of society, um, which I think, again, like this is what makes the kind of left socialist analysis different from the CNN thing. Because if you watch people on CNN, it's how do you win this election? Right. What can you do, say, put together to win this election? Um, The socialist analysis is not just like, how do you win the election? How do you build a coalition, a movement, a working class movement that can actually change and enact left wing socialist policies? And, you know, very different kinds of of analysis than we get oftentimes um, from, uh, you know, those um, from from like liberal Democratic Party pundits.
1: Yeah, and uh, it says here. Um, in fact, the question is not why the Democrats haven't won more seats, but why they have done so well in the last three cycles since two thousand eighteen. The two thousand twenty midterms, which seem again to have defied much common sense thinking, were successful by comparable historical standards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's something I think everybody needs to get up to speed on. Whether you support, uh, you know, participation uh, alongside Democrats in electoral strategy or not, um, at least you know understand that they're fucking winning
0: <laughs> yeah <clears throat> well um as is typical of left reckoning the opening segment um <laughs>
1: I knew um, that was going to happen too. <laughs> went,
0: went on a little bit longer, um, which I'm happy for. No, it's, it's important stuff and I want to do more on this. So
1: that piece was really the, the new Left review piece. I haven't read the, the I would love to
0: get page. Dylan Riley on, on the podcast. Though. He'd be one of those guests. I'd be very nervous the whole time and might not be able to get um, anything out, but we should try to see if we can make that happen. Um, yeah. Both, both that piece and the fault lines, the fault lines piece I thought was just phenomenal when it came out um, back in 2020. Cause you know, Sorry, we really should get going, but like, I don't think there's been a lot of real theoretical analysis of, of Biden um, right. and Bidenism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be able to, to understand what's going on here. Um, if, again, if we want to, I don't know, like um, I've been feeling that Marx quote recently, you know, his talking about theses, um, his thesis 11, right? Philosophers up until now have interpreted the world. The point is to change it. Right, mm-hmm. um, I've been I've been feeling that more and more, and I think that you know we need to go back to that spirit of of analysis and critique, not just us at Left Reckoning, but on on the left, because you know there's a lot of just like this is bad, this is bad. It's like fine, but like politics has to, we have to move past a place on the left where we're we're we're, we're not just you know sort of designating good and bad things. And trying to understand what the conditions are, so that we can find a way out of this fucking crisis that we're in, so that people aren't dying of preventable disease, so that people aren't struggling to put food on their table, so that we don't see more and more barbarism coming um, from the right wing, and 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 uh, utilizing the full powers of the state in our name to brutalize people domestically and internationally. Right? Like the stakes are fucking high, and you know I think so much of the left project in contemporary. Um, And the contemporary moment has been just like, we are witnessing evil, and are going to tell you what is good and what is bad. And it's like, I'm so uninterested in that, in in that at this point, I'm not saying that I don't get fire. um, You know, don't get fired up about brutality and barbarism. But at a certain point, it's like we know how fucked up things are. The point has to be to figure out a way to change these and move past them.
1: Yeah, it's like Barry Witness is good, but it can't be like the soul <laughs> I'm done, done with it. Task, yeah. And
0: you know, the funniest thing too is like again, we gotta move on, but like you look at like Russian Russian left. Before like the, the social Democrats, which again, for people who aren't familiar, social Democrats become the Bolsheviks or split and, and Lenin's side becomes the Bolsheviks. Um, you had all these weird kind of apocalyptic, like left cults that were like, the czar bad, you know, early capitalism is bad, all this kind of stuff. But it was like very like spiritual in the sense of like, it was like about the, the soul and recognizing the evil that is being brought into the world rather than just saying, okay, well, things are bad. How are we going to do something about it? And it's just funny, as often times as we you you learn when you read history, it's just like, damn, these trends and tendencies have always been here, um, yeah, with us. Um, but, anyways, uh, to get to to get to um, our interview, we're gonna have uh, we have Bronco Marchitich, uh, who is a staff writer at Jacobin, to talk about the Twitter files. Um, it was a really interesting uh, conversation. I was very uh, happy to be able to have that with him. Uh, Matt and I will come back after that for probably a quick recap, and we'll be going to the post game. You get access to that Patreon.com dot slash left reckoning. Don't forget to join us in New York City, New York City. Have you ever seen that? The uh, <laughs> um, the what? You haven't seen that? Uh, what we do in the shadows? Uh, fuck, I can't oh, remember okay, the guy's yeah. name. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be in New York City uh, on January twenty second uh, with Ben Burgess, Jason Miles, Sam Cedar, Emma Vigland, Baskar Sankar. You can get tickets now. Um, they're selling pretty quick. So especially if you want to get there for the meet and greet, try to grab those, um, soon, really looking forward to that. And yeah, let's get to Bronco.
1: Yep. Here you go, folks. We'll see you in about uh, 30 minutes.
0: Welcome back, everybody. David here uh, for Left Reckoning. Matt Leck uh, was not able to join us. Uh, he told me he does not respect uh, free speech. Uh, he was messing around, dumb. but um, stoked to be joined uh, today by Bronco Teach, uh who is a staff writer at Jackman Magazine. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for, for taking this seriously.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I wanted to have you on because a couple of weeks back, um, Matt and I did a kind of impromptu segment just sort of off the cuff, um, because Matt used to work with uh, Matt Taibbi back in the day. And we were talking about some of the journalist um, journalism ethics regarding these Twitter files and what we were thinking about Matt Taibbi. But looking back at it, uh, while I definitely agree with everything that we said, I think that it was worthwhile taking some time to talk about the Twitter files, what they actually said, what they represent, and how the left should be thinking about them. Because you know, there's really a couple of different narratives I think people can get from this, this recent, um, these, these recent uh, Twitter files. And you know, one of them is the fact that there seems to be a lot of government interest in involving themselves in social media and uh, you know, these platforms. And there's a second one which we can maybe get into later about how maybe you know there's ulterior motives certain things are being highlighted over others and i think now looking back at it like that second bit has almost dominated completely um these leaks and um i think you'd be the perfect person uh, to come and talk about this Uh, i link to it in the show notes for everybody but uh, bronco wrote a great piece in jackman called why the twitter files are in fact a big deal um so, maybe just to start us off, uh, you know, could you sort of give us the zoomed-out picture of why you find these, uh, you know, these revelations to be such a significant um, thing?
2: Yeah, let me uh, just preface uh, by, by just saying that, you know, I totally understand people's reluctance uh, or even, you know, hostility to, to uh, I guess, taking this stuff seriously or, or reading through it. I think the way that it's been reported, the, the various decision-making involved in, in getting this to the mm-hmm. public it's all kind of been if you wanted to design a way to make you know at least one half of the political spectrum uh, completely ignore this and not take it seriously and think it's all a bunch of uh, nonsense then then you couldn't have done a better job with the way it's uh, it's been done um but i do think that if we can sort of put that stuff to the side and actually look at what is actually in there um uh, not just in the, in the you know the, the various reporting that the people involved have done, but in the actual, you know, the screenshots that were being given of emails and behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. documents, there is a lot of stuff that, that should be alarming to, to all of us, and particularly the left. Um, you know, number one for me, I think, any time that the FBI and the CIA, let alone a panoply of other national security alphabet agencies, the DHS, DNI, uh, so on and so forth, uh, are, are getting involved in something, it, it should be a uh, big deal for us not only do these agencies have long well-documented histories of all sorts of uh, abuses and particularly towards the left uh, uh and not even ancient ones but, but very recent histories i mean you know the dhs was of course in 2020 deeply involved uh in in uh you know all the all the the, the anti-protester stuff that we were seeing that the trump was was launching uh against anti-police brutality protests around the country Mm -hmm. kidnapping people off the streets uh you know spying crossing constitutional uh lines in order to surveil people so on and so forth so i think anytime that happens we should be deeply concerned and i think in this case you know we have very specific reasons to because what these files and and you know other documents have shown is that The fbi uh and and the fbi it's made clear in these documents is basically considered a a by proxy the entire intelligence community community Mm you know uh uh because it's feeding all this information to those agencies and those agencies are also uh, feeding information to twitter through the fbi and and that's what twitter itself says it says you know basically if we if we give stuff to the fbi it's going to the intelligence agencies Mm -hmm um they they're involved in sending you know according to the people reporting on this hundreds of, of, of cases of accounts that have to be banned or suspended or shadow banned uh you know every week they week uh, meeting weekly and, and monthly uh with twitter executives as well as executives of, of other social media uh, platforms to talk about, you know, potential threats, at least as they define them. And I'm sure that the way the FBI and various national security agencies define threats and misinformation is wildly different to how we, uh, the rest of the public, might think about it, let alone people on the left. Um, They are sending, you know, Excel spreadsheets uh, with thousands of accounts uh, that that, that are to be banned uh, or at least considered to be banned um you know we see the fbi repeatedly pressuring twitter uh mm. to uh, uh crack down on, on, on foreign influence supposedly even though uh twitter itself these ex- executives say to the fbi well you know we've looked at the accounts and, and, and various things that you've said over I and we don't actually see any foreign influence these are all domestic accounts you know mm-hmm. domestic accounts that maybe have opinions that you don't um agree with but they're domestic accounts um, so, you know, the, the involvement of the national security state and the way that these uh, two broad sectors are kind of quietly coming together, that I think is, is the most alarming thing. I mean, we, we should try and remember that back before 2016, before Trump got elected and uh, people on the, on the liberal side had this huge panic about misinformation online. Um, and and decide that that was the reason why all these, you know, political ruptures were happening all over the world. Before that happened, uh, liberals and, and people on the left were vehemently against uh, this kind of, of, of mm-hmm. censorship. Uh, at the time, the justification was something that uh, it, was, it, was, it was terrorism. It was ISIS. It was, it was that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, people quite rightly said, well, hold on, we, you know, we don't like these terrorists or what they're doing, but that should not be a reason to hand control over, you know, what is a Mm -hmm. technically, uh, you know, at least in theory, a communal public square over to the government to, to censor and and manipulate as it would. Um, so that's, that's one, I mean, there's other revelations in there, but I really think, you know, if we're going to focus on one thing, uh, that particular point about the national security state is various intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies kind of becoming deeper and deeper and meshed and not just Twitter, but all kinds of different social media companies. That is a really alarming thing and no one on the left should, should be saying, Oh, that doesn't matter. You know.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't want to zoom it out too much, but like, you know, this is one thing that I think has, and you've been covering this on a lot of different angles um, in the past few years, um, that has been so frightening about the quote unquote, like fake news. And, you know, disinformation stuff is that there was this real clamor and, um, particularly on like the center left, um, for like there to be action against disinformation. And, you know, while I don't want, um, you know, the, the news cycle to be rife with, you know, false stories and things like that. the question is always going to be, well, who's doing it, who's deciding what is, you know, legitimate and what is not. And we've seen, for example, um, You know, with the the Russia disinformation stuff, that was very quickly utilized uh, to attack the the left. Right. When Facebook changed, I think it was like 2017, Facebook really invited in a lot of fact checkers. They changed their algorithms to sort of um, de-boost like misinformation or questionable information. Basically, what that meant was people like Tariq Ali in the UK, publications like Counterpunch were basically seeing their traffic drop to zero on Facebook at a time when that became like the number one place to publish news. And, um, you know, with this, I think one thing that's really frightening about it is when you look at some of the examples that you saw in your piece that have been sort of uh, revealed is that the FBI has gotten pretty um, skilled at looking at the kind of terms of service of Twitter to flag things that like might not really rot, like they won't pass the smell test, but they could maybe have some kind of reasoning on the Twitter side to suppress something or, or, or ban it which basically gives the FBI a lot of power to censor and decide what um, things we are able to talk about in the public, the quote unquote public square.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and Taibbi uh, highlights in one of his Twitter threads, you know, that, that, uh, Jim Baker, who, uh, used to be general counsel for the FBI now (laughs) attorney at Twitter, um, which by the way, is not a, a unique, trajectory. Um, Even Mm -hmm. before this came out, uh, actually, Alan McLeod of um, Mint Press News, a a series of really good reports where he looked at, um, you know, who all these various social media companies were hiring. And so many people, sometimes people directly involved in the uh, area of content moderation uh, were people from the FBI, the CIA, DHS. Uh, nato you know uh so you, you know th- this is this is uh, known before then uh but uh, uh, there is uh increasingly a pipeline of you know people going from the fbi and other agencies to twitter anyway what does what does baker say at one point he says you know he, even he finds it weird that the fbi is you know looking uh actively for for terms of service violations you know i mean mm-hmm. the, the idea that the, the reason why the fbi is involved in this is because the issue of foreign influence operations via things like Twitter and other social media companies is supposed to be so uh, rife, number one, and then number two, alarming and dangerous that, that you know, you have to make this, uh, the, the, all these different uh, uh, task forces, you know, the DHS has its foreign influence task force through which the FBI and others others work with Twitter um, to stop this. And yet you know, it, it seems like they're just basically kind of looking for something mm-hmm. to censor. Um, and it'll be bad enough. I mean, I think, you know, given the, the various biases of, of people who uh, are more likely to work in law enforcement and, and given the FBI's history, that would be bad anyway. But I mean, I think anytime anyone's kind of like looking for something to, to justify their job effectively, particularly when it's in the area of, of, you know, national security and threats, that never really tends to to, to go well. I mean, I'd remind people that um, uh, the FBI, one of the, the, the things that has a history of, uh, uh, th- that we may have forgotten, uh, you know, in the post-Trump era, is that for many years during the war on terror, what was the FBI doing? Couldn't find actual uh, uh, terrorist threats that I had to deal with with all this new personnel and, and new funding and new resources. So uh, what did it do? It, it would entrap uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Muslim men, usually, you know, poor or down on their luck, uh, mentally ill, sometimes even just intellectually disabled. Muslim men and, and kind of create the threats that then justified all these, you know, fancy new uh, uh, powers and, and, and sub agencies and the like that have been created for the war on terror. I mean, there's a little bit of that coming through in this, I think, as well. And, and some of those terms of searches violations and, and, and uh, the, the Bureau basically getting back to to Twitter when they say, well, we haven't found any foreign influence stuff or, well, you know, these are all domestic accounts and saying, well, hold on, what you should, you should look again. Try harder. You, I'm sure you can find it.
0: And like let's be very um you know clear about this uh you know what we're talking about you you know in your piece that some of these news articles and, and things that were being flagged by the fba fbi to twitter were things surrounding for example like the george floyd protests right saying that like oh there might be a foreign hand in here trying to incite you know people's anger at the fact that we live in a brutal police state right like this is some really um High-level stuff in the in the in its effects on domestic politics, right? This is stuff like people are out on the streets, they're seeing revelations about the way the police departments are handling themselves, and the FBI is trying to get Twitter to pull information off of their website because, uh, you know, basically encouraging them to see, oh, maybe you can find, you know, a Russian bot account that has been sort of Mm -hmm. promoting this kind of information or that
2: yeah i mean i didn't uh really cover this in the piece because it was so long you know you have to you have to make cuts Mm -hmm. but one of the interesting things that that i found you're looking through all these these threads i mean i wish by the way i wish all this stuff was was more public or you know shared with a a wider circle of journalists but you know uh we got to work with what we can um but one of the things that that's evident is that you know the fbi is kind of and, and other government agencies that are involved in this stuff uh, uh, kind of relying or, or, or being uh, prodded by stuff they read in the news. So, you know, when there was mm-hmm. this explosion of, of in, in my estimation, pretty hysterical and over-the-top reporting about the, you know, the, the power of Russian bots and trolls and all this kind of stuff after 2016, uh, uh, they were reading this stuff and taking it seriously. I mean, you know, people mm-hmm. on like us on the left are saying, well, hold on. You know, I mean, maybe the, the stuff probably exists. every government does this stuff number one but uh you know is it really the reason why you know black voters didn't come out to vote for Hillary Clinton you know mm-hmm. is it really the reason why people are angry at Wall Street and don't like fracking and so on and so forth um you know we, we we raised some of those questions um clearly people in the FBI did not and they read this stuff and it kind of drove some of their decision-making. So there's a kind of, there's this feedback loop that's, that's constantly Mm -hmm. happening. It seems like to me, you know, based on the documents that we've seen so far.
0: So, so just technically, I mean, could you talk a little bit about, you know, how embedded the government has been with Twitter, like what their, um, you know, their, their, um, their communication has been like the kind of presence of like the FBI and these government agencies within like Twitter's decision-making process.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, you know, they, they were meeting in advance of the election uh, monthly and then weekly. Uh, and this was not just the FBI, but you know, you have you have the CIA, which by the way, the CIA yeah. is technically not meant to be involved in domestic operations. And yet here they are, uh, you know, under the... Nominal aegis of—I'm uh, uh, sorry, uh, no of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh a um, under the aegis of of you know foreign influence combating foreign influence. It turns out they're actually uh, uh, censoring domestic accounts. People who aren't in any way linked to foreign operations—they're just people who again might have bad or wrong political opinions, but you know they're, they're entitled to have those in a democracy. Um, so th- there's a lot of that going on. I mean, th- there was stuff they were talking about in the lead up to the election, you know, let's, we're going to give some of you t- temporary s- uh, security clearances. Uh, at one point, uh, they talk about uh, information sharing, you sharing classified information. A Twitter uh, person says, you know, is there any impediments to this? And the FBI says, no, there's no impediments to, to, to all this. Um, I mean, it, it, it was, they, there was a, a, a uh, portal. Uh, we, we found out from some of these documents where the FBI could directly just send uh, links to that portal mm. um, and say, you know, we want this account to be throttled, or we think this account should be banned or you know, we think this should be censored, so on and so forth. Um, so it's a very, very intimate uh, uh, relationship. But I mean, uh, earlier, um, you know, thanks to, to Lee Fine of The Intercept, uh, you know, he reported all these documents that were um, uh, released as part of a, a lawsuit against social media companies for, for you know, some of this uh, perceived kind of, you know, anti-conservative bias in censorship. And one of the things that we found out was that there's also a portal for Facebook that, that the FBI uses to, you know, again, just feed links there and yeah. say, well, you know, we think this needs to be, its reach needs to be throttled or, or whatever. So it's, um, you know, it, even the Twitter executives themselves at one point talk about, you know, th- what we're getting from, the national security establishment. Uh, it, it's starting to kind of bring up issues of, of a state controlled media here. Um, you know, those I mean, are not, not my words, that's, that's, that's Twitter's own words.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in a little bit, I want to talk about this kind of filter of conservative or or anti-conservative bias or pro-liberal bias whatever but before we get there i think that that last bit that you you got to is really important to continue to highlight and particularly um for leftist people who are, are worried about the actions of the united states abroad you know there's all this talk domestically about you know international interference um but they basically go so uh, as far as to admit that the united states is doing these kind of operations abroad and those were purposefully not flagged as as government propaganda if, if i recall correctly
2: yeah that's right that, that was lee firing uh again mm-hmm. he, he, that. he he got access eventually to to some of the twitter documents um and, and that was one of the things he found and, and you know we had some indication of that um, beforehand there was actually a, a couple of recent studies uh that came out maybe uh, a month or two before all this happened um that looked at some of the online discourse around the war in ukraine and, and a variety of you know, geopolitical topics um and it found that you know it, it, it was the kind of western based or pro-western narratives that were the most um active in mm. terms of, you know bots and trolls and, and the like which isn't really surprising i mean you know you're talking about the most powerful country in the world um all these tech companies are located inside of the united states they have close connection to to political elites in the u.s i mean you know twitter and and facebook and all those uh companies they don't they don't hire and deal with the russian government you know Mm -hmm. uh, nearly an intimate uh, as intimate a basis as they do with the u.s so it makes sense but yeah we we had some indication that you know the most kind of powerful and influential uh, influence operations weren't really the ones being carried out by U.S. adversaries; they were the ones being carried out by the by the U.S. government. Um, and that's really kind of uh, gave some very specific examples. You know, uh, uh, there's a bunch of um, accounts that that the uh, the Pentagon was surreptitiously running in the Middle East uh, that was meant to shape public opinion, um, including one that was um, uh, uh, put out information about drone strikes in Yemen and basically said they're all good <laughs> they're great no one all the right people are dying we're not accidentally killing any villagers or you know uh, mm-hmm. like um which of course is uh extremely dubious to say the least um and and the pentagon emailed twitter and they said hey yeah you know, we noticed you blocked some of these uh we actually need you know we, we rely yeah. on these and they're getting some traction um so can you please uh can you please uh uh put them back in um because it'll be good to to be able to keep doing what we've been doing um and so you know these accounts that they weren't i think active at this point but for years they were uh they were active they weren't labeled unlike other uh state owned or or state controlled propaganda when it's it's, uh non-us countries uh those are always very diligently labeled um in this case they weren't uh so not only did they did they get to keep uh staying up and continue to kind of Spread propaganda on a, on a you know, without being disadvantaged by by Twitter's various kind of control methods, but they were uh, uh, also not even, you know, being transparent about what they were. So, in the last
0: couple of minutes, I mean, um, I, you know, I, I wanted to hear hear your thoughts on this because I think on the left in particular and you know center left is one thing and just being honest i'm not engaged in those conversations i don't feel very much you have know, very much space to influence um the worldview of the msnbc watcher um but on our side jackman readers leftist socialists, people who voted for bernie sanders there has in in my opinion just been a big collective shrug on this um mm-hmm. this story and i think you know part of it um is about the fact that um who were the people who it was given to, I'll just put my you own know, opinion on here that, you know, I think that Matt Taibbi said it right when he said a couple years ago, once people start handing you stuff to print, you've sort of lost. Um, but, uh, um, you know, that has sort of been the fixation along with the fact that it's created this kind of grievance stories. Conservatives mm-hmm. are being silenced in the national media. Uh, they're not being heard. And, you know, all these media companies have like a pro-Biden left liberal um, agenda. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, in your piece, you, you note that, you know, Taibi hasn't really focused, for example, on, you know, pro-Palestinian accounts that are being throttled. Um, but um, this focus, I think, on, like, is this going to help conservatives? And, you know, again, like, if you watch the CNN reports on this, it's just, it's like Charlie Kirk yelling about how he's being silenced, right? Mm-hmm. So even the, the most of the coverage has been, like, are conservatives being silenced instead of what I think the bigger story is, that, like, the United States government is playing an active role in deciding what information is good information versus what information is bad information. But, I, you know, if you want to make, you know, your, your, your pitch to folks about how they can sort of cut through these things without ignoring the fact that I think that there is a spectacle purposely being created um, to sort of rile up a more conservative base for Musk and Twitter for whatever reason?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, just because of the examples that have been picked, I mean, these, these largely uh, went to conservative writers uh, mm-hmm. who naturally have picked out uh, examples of right-wing accounts being censored. Um, but the idea that just because those are the examples that have been picked out, that that's all that's happening. It's actually, in, in many ways, it's a, it's a weirdly, you, you're falling into confirming uh, what I think is a very mistaken and wrong belief by conservatives that they are being uniquely persecuted on mm-hmm. these uh, 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 social media platforms. If you don't think that conservatives are actually you know, being persecuted more than others than the left. Then uh, if Twitter, if the FBI is sitting over, you know, 200 cases a day, thousands of accounts, then you have to assume that some of those, at least some of those are going to be people who aren't right wing and who in fact are are, are left wing. I mean, not long after, the, the Twitter files that came out, there was a Palestinian journalist who was uh, suspended, I think on December 3rd, he had no idea mm-hmm. why it even happened. Um, and we've seen countless examples like that. So it, it, to me, it, it's strange credulity to believe that, that there isn't a bunch of left-wing accounts that have been targeted. Um, and we have examples of them even in the, in the files. Um, let me tell you, I mean, even if we grant that, let's say, yeah, okay, you know, people are now correct, conservatives are right, it's only they and they alone who are being censored on social media. Uh, and therefore the left shouldn't uh, worry about it. I think that's a very foolish way to think about it. I mean, the, idea, the reason why um, censorship, uh, whether by the, the state or, or others, uh, has historically been opposed by, by the left, is not because they agree with the people who are being censored. Often the people who are censored uh, to begin with are the most fringe and extreme uh, elements. Um, because that's the easiest thing to justify. That's the mm-hmm. case with with uh, terrorism during the war on terror, uh, where not just censorship, but a, a wide variety of civil liberties violations were justified on the basis of, well, look, these are bad people. Look look at mm-hmm. all the things that they believe and they say and they do. Uh, you know, these people don't deserve our, our rights. But the, the point of it was uh, that, that we understood that, okay, well, we'll start with people who are terrorists, but then, well, what is a terrorist? Who defines what a terrorist is? Uh, mm-hmm. And second of all, what, what if it starts creeping into legitimate political discourse, into 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 legitimate dissidents who, you know, don't uh, kill people or blow up buildings and, and the like, but, you know, maybe uh, share certain foreign policy critiques or other critiques mm-hmm. uh, with, with some of these groups, and then it'll keep creeping and creeping and creeping. So just because uh, it may be conservatives that are being targeted now, and I don't think that that is true at all, mm-hmm. right? but this is what people seem to believe, just because they may be targeted now does not mean that that they won't be targeted uh in the future just as you know one of the revelations um uh that that happened later on was that the the biden white house had uh directly pressured twitter to to ban a bunch of you know anti-vaccine and and kind of anti-pandemic mitigation accounts uh like alex berenson for instance Mm. um now look i don't sympathize with those people, I I disagree with them, I I don't share their views at all. But, I mean, it doesn't take a a, a lot of forethought for me to imagine. If, If you allow that precedent to stand, well, what's gonna happen when uh, Donald Trump goes back to the White House or Rhonda or DeSantis, Sanders. yeah, Mike Pence or someone i mean if if they mm-hmm. if if they can decide, hey, this is disinformation, and you know this is dangerous speech you can 't have it on there we 're going to lean on you until you get rid of it. If the Biden White House can do that, we just go along with it, and we say that 's fine because we don 't agree with these people. Well, uh, it's not going to, it, by the time that, that DeSantis is pressuring Twitter to kick off a bunch of, you know, left-wing accounts and all manner of other things, uh, but at that point it'll be too late for you to mount any sort of opposition. You know, I think you've got to start now.
0: And, and so like there, there's a political point, which I think is a, is a good one. And it's, yeah, would you be comfortable with DeSantis playing this role? Would you be comfortable with Trump playing this role? I think the answer should be no to that. But on the private company side too. Right. You note in your piece that like, there's also and I actually think this is a very likely um, result of all this and probably even a purposeful one. Like, why is Musk wanting to do this? Right. Well, what are Musk's things? You know, Musk is worried that the woke mind virus is destroying American society. And he understands that Twitter is a very important tool for his bottom line. Right. Because most of his companies are sort of based on his public persona. And um, what if Twitter starts internally like overcorrecting? um, as, as you know, in your piece, hiring more conservative people to sort of decide what is, is not misinformation. And, you know, if you see, um, basically like the way that this has been sort of brought out so far does sort of create this excuse that like, oh, Twitter is this, um, super left-wing thing. So in the, in the, you know, the dreams and hopes of a fair and balanced conversation, we're going to start coming on down a little bit harder on the left. Um, you know, that could be something that's really dangerous and it makes it even more dangerous if people aren't recognizing in the moment right now that this is a bad power for a private company to have. This is a bad um, tendency for people to accept the government <laughs> involving themselves in, uh, in, in in communities discussion like this. I'm just curious uh, to sort of close out what your thoughts are on that kind of private overreaction and maybe some of the motives as to why. I mean, I, I think that this is like, there's some really juicy stuff in here, right? I think that it's very helpful if you do have like bad, like, let's say Musk has these kind of bad intentions. This is a great way to sort of create a situation where everyone's like, oh, see, this is a right-wing thing. We're not going to be worried about it. Mm. Um, and then sort of allows Musk to use this as an excuse to sort of clamp down in, in, in the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, what you said is, is uh, precisely correct. The reason why governments have constitutions, the reason why governments have, have laws, the reason why the U.S. has the First Amendment is because we understand that governments change hands. And so you may like this one person who's in power right now, but at some point they're going to change over to someone else, and you may not like them. And if you are, you are happy to have them have you know certain tyrannical powers or, or you know, very strong kind of ability to override speech and civil liberties and the like, um, that's, that's maybe fine for four years, but what about the next guy, you know, and it's the same with private companies, private companies change ownership. I mean, that's, that's why Elon Musk Mm -hmm. is now the CEO of Twitter and why we've got this, you know, two months of chaos. Um, and, you know, just because Musk is gone uh, does not mean that Twitter won't at some point, uh, you know, uh, the, the next CEO won't uh, uh, go, hey, you know what, maybe to avoid some of this public furor, let's, uh, let's overcorrect and, and, and show that actually we're not uh, biased towards conservatives, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when Reddit uh, famously uh, purged itself of all these pro-Trump accounts under under pressure, uh, it also purged itself with a bunch of left-wing, uh, and it's not not accounts sorry, subreddit pages. It also purged itself with a bunch of uh, left-wing subreddits that were in no way um, offensive or hateful or anything, but they wanted to show, hey, you know what? We're not going after the right. We're, 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 also, we're equal opportunity offenders. Um, companies do that kind of stuff all the time. Um, it, it's not even hard to imagine a bunch of other scenarios. Let's say that the Republicans who now control Congress, they decide, hey, you know what? This worked really well for the Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been wanting to quash, uh, you know, what we consider dangerous speech on, on uh, social media for years, going back to the war on terror. Um, well, what if we do what the Democrats do now? We're going to haul tech uh, executives before Congress. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to grill them. We're going to threaten them with, uh, you know, law changes and, and the like that will uh, make censorship inevitable. Uh, and then, you know, basically threaten them and control them into, uh, into getting rid of the kind of speech that we like. Maybe they'll get rid of some... Palestinian uh, accounts and pages. Maybe they'll get rid of some uh, accounts and pages that appear to be too friendly towards the, the Chinese government and, you know, mm-hmm. are, are not sufficiently pro war enough. Maybe they'll get rid of, uh, you know, uh, 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 people who are advising, you know, certain pandemic mitigation techniques or wearing masks and so on and so forth. You can imagine a million different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And just one other thing I would just caution as well. You know, it's fair to speculate and, and to talk about the motives of, of Musk and releasing this and, and everything. I think that's totally fair game. Um, I think that focusing on that and, and using that as a reason to, to just dismiss all that stuff is, a, is really short-sighted and mistaken. And in fact, it's the exact thing that that unfortunately every side does when it, 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 it's a leak that is perceived by a particular faction as being you know, in some way politically inconvenient or, or, or you know otherwise. They always focus on the 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 motives and the personality of the person who leaked it and who reported it uh, instead of the actual disclosures themselves. This happened. I've seen this happen so many times. I mean, the the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, happened with Snowden. It happened in 2016 when we were told, you know, we we should avoid all the uh, genuinely scandalous stuff in the uh, Clinton emails because you know what Russia Russia is behind this and they want us to, to talk about this stuff. And, you know i and uh, i think most of the left at the time quite correctly said who gives a damn what russia's mm-hmm. motive was who gives a damn what what the kremlin wanted the point is this is is this true and there's this newsworthy and in that case both were uh both were true uh and it's true in this case as well so i think yes have that in mind of course i'm not saying discuss mm-hmm. it but i i really think it's it doesn't make sense to start using the excuse of you know Democrats in 2016, and the National Security State in 2013, to to dismiss this stuff. Yeah,
0: I know. I think that's put put exactly right. It's Like you can have these things in mind, as you know, you could have in, for example, with the the Clinton emails. But no reason in heaven should you say, hey, it's not scandalous that they're conspiring to deny the the results of this primary, or in this case, uh, should you be able to dismiss the fact that the FBI is taken a lot of interest um, in your Twitter activity. Um, Bronco, I really appreciate you taking the time, folks. There are links below to find Bronco's work. Bronco's one of those journalists, whenever you see his name, you should definitely click and read their, his, his work. It's always
2: very insightful. Thanks so much. Man. Pleasure speaking. Yeah,
0: man. <clears throat>
1: Bronco that was a great uh talk. Uh I my apologies for not being there with you guys. It's all
0: good, man. I <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean it, uh no, I wish you you had been there because like um is one of those people who you can you can you know push a little bit and he always has a response. He's uh I was saying though, like um to him, it's like we should get him on to because <laughs> we've had him on to talk Ukraine and Twitter. We should get him on to something. That's a little bit less controversial on the left so he can get the adoration that he deserves because he is a a phenomenal voice. And like the term free thinker is a little annoying, but like he's somebody who's not afraid to sort of take a stand or make a point that some people are afraid to make.
1: Yeah, he's the the sort of person uh, on the left that like, I mean, a lot of... And People, he's also willing to like exist.
0: do the tedious shit that like <laughs> like you and I are done with.
1: You know, that's the thing is because like I, I I I do think like one of the most remedial lessons in media literacy is, you know, why is this news on the newspaper? Like mm. the New York Times and Politico, they're just like free flowing um, inquisitive places where we're just there's always an agenda for stuff getting out I, I i do think that's important to foreground this but that said like and and what's frustrating about it is 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 the impression that's caused um by i mean the way especially the way elon you you can always tell the spin elon likes to throw when he quote tweets like a new Taibbi thread where he throws an actual Ooh. sauce on there that's not really justified um mm-hmm. by the actual thread and the problem is like it is creating this impression that it's like that we have to like argue that the left is being censored. Like if we all know this shit has been happening for a long time with regards to like deboosting. I mean, fucking Jake Flores, the comedian, got uh a FBI visit at his house. Like, like um that's what's frustrating about the sort of non participation in the left and the way that the right participates in it, um, is that impression.
0: I think the real highlight um, I was saying the, this to you before we went live is that, you know, when the first couple drops happened, I was like, whatever, you know, I mean, um, you know, some interesting stuff. It was interesting to see how Twitter's operating, but like, it was very much like, how's the right being fucked up by Twitter? Mm -hmm. But when the, you know, Lee Fong and like, you know, Lee's people have their criticisms of him or whatever. Yeah. So I I
1: disagree with certain of his takes. Yeah. But but when that,
0: but at the same time too, like he is somebody who does like a lot of really great journalism. Right. Um, And sometimes it's good to be able to compartmentalize between take havers and journalists um, on on that level. But um, I remember texting you when his report at the Intercept came out. Um, so it's like, oh, this actually seems a little bit more serious. And that was the ones where you were seeing a lot more about the FBI involvement, particularly around like the George Floyd stuff. And, you know, Matt, like, um, it kind of it feels like this forever ago, but you know, um, before I met you and Michael and was doing all this kind of stuff, I was just a kind of broke guy trying to put some pieces out there. And I ended up on one of those crazy lists from the proper not people. Um, I don't know if people remember that, but there's just like insane group of people go on Twitter and buy a website and start saying, we know who are the Russian paid journalists and who, you know, we, we know who the Russian paid journalists are in this country. And they started circulating this list and the and the Washington Post published that list without any verification been, uh... or anything behind it. And, you know, a lot of people were on it I was on it and it was insane um, because at that point, by the way, like I was nobody, I'd written like two pieces for counterpunch or something at that point. And one was just like, I thought that the spectacle around the bombing of Syria by Trump was tasteless, um, the way that the media was covering it. And another one about how capitalism is rigged against workers, right? Like nothing even particularly controversial. But it was, it was a really frightening moment and, um, you know, recognizing that like that all started with these demands when Trump gets elected, <clears throat> that fake news is taking over. We have to do something about fake news and not having very much care as to what that is actually going to mean in practice. And we yeah. saw what that ended up meaning in practice. Um, in Facebook, that meant that Tariq Ali was getting, you know, deboosted. That means a lot of other independent media people were getting deboosted. Um, you know, like. Really, really consequential stuff, and to dealing with the crisis of fake news, like not very effective, right? Yeah, um, and I, I think that like we got to be. And the same thing with the with the Russian um, like allegiance stuff when everybody was acting like oh, criticism of America has to have these kind of nefarious. Um, or like a puppet master behind it. Instead of the fact right. that this is a country that is extremely brutal and people are rightfully upset. I mean, you know, even people on the uh, the left is not the word I want to use for them. Like Democratic Party voters and pundits and things like that were saying that about the George Floyd protests, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, it was, it was a really wild moment to see like, oh, this is how that kind of thing can happen in a country. Um, you know, where like a, a story sort of captivates the imagination of folks that they'll just sort of accept – Um, anything and i think like we have to be disciplined about it because of course the charlatans and the right love these kind of things you know charlie kirk every time he's been on cnn like you could see how happy he is to be able to go on there and be like i've been de-boosted that's not good charlie kirk that's a more Alex jones but um you know they love this kind of thing and it's like yeah recognize the fraud that they're trying to do but don't also fall into the trap of not being able to recognize that these things are, are worrying and not to talk too much about, cause I'm curious what you think about this. Um, uh, You know, I, I hear people all the time saying like, well, I already knew this, right. Or I suspected that Twitter was up to this. And it's like, fine. um, Yeah. But when like we find out another police department is racist, do we sort of say, why well, no police departments are racist? Like, no. In fact, like if your suspicions are being um, <laughs> answered, and proven that should be vindicating and something that you should be, you know, propagating. Like, look, I've thought this for a long time. Here's some like cold hard facts about how this is happening. I I don't understand that, 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 that argument at all.
1: Yeah. I think, well, I think there's a couple things on that. Part of it is there was reporting on, and, and I'm, Bronco mentioned the um Alan McLeod mint press news stuff there's other reporting on this operations that this yeah. isn't an entire <laughs> i, I under, and 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 let me just say real quick like the point is not to be like I knew all this but just go back and refresh people on the people who did that reporting you know um earlier and take it as okay the attention has been turned to this subject because I, I I think it's mainly like I think certain people are like the the people that are tuned in are like annoyed that their concern is being echoed back by bad actors. And I do get that, but I mm-hmm. do think, like you said, like the response is just to say like, okay, like these certain things were revealed with this sort of operation. I can't remember which operation it was, but no. And then also yeah.
0: Twitter's done this before, by the way, Right, like the, like they, they have, they have released documents about their processes before they did that um, before Musk. Um you know, and, you know, I think that there's something to be said about the way that these have been put out and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of it does rise to, like, nothing burger kind of things. Um,
1: well, that's what else was frustrating is it be nice to, like, like the Snowden leaks where it seemed like there was a little bit of process and, like, rumination, even, like... I, I, maybe I'm misremembering in that time. I w- it was a while ago, but it's like this stuff, like it's like when-
0: it, They about the leaks, the, the files,
1: sorry. The, the, yeah, the way the leaks were like processed and reported oh, yeah. out by journalists, right? Whereas this, it's like different Twitter file like threads each fucking day and there's no seemingly emphasis about- We started off like talking about, I mean, certain things that I really don't, I really don't give a fuck about the Hunter laptop thing. I think it's pretty clear like that was a politically motivated thing, but I don't think that's like- as interesting as this FBI stuff is, right? Mm. Like, I, I I, think that's, like... I, I honestly think the Hunter Biden story has been... Re- like, I don't think it's as interesting... I think the Hunter... The I Hunter, mean, the Hunter Biden, Biden is.
0: story is is a non-story. I think... I, I Maybe we disagree on this, but I do think involving themselves in, in the way that they did makes it, like, only amplified its kind of importance.
1: Absolutely. Themselves. But I also think, like... like acting as if it was just a clear uh you know um like like I think the Russiagate stuff does warp all of this and that is the 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 context that it's being done in that said like where the fuck did those files come from like the chain of title on that seems super weird to me like oh Rudy Giuliani found some files and then like all that stuff happening right before an election like I, I I honestly like I don't know like I'm saying this in the context of someone like that, these pretty conspiratorial things about Reagan getting into office, like things that come in that launch right before an election. Like I don't know what the proper response is like with regards no. to like Iran. Like I don't know what the proper responses a state has to that. But like that's why the Hunter Biden stuff, like I do agree. It's like it was ridiculous that they said this is hacked stuff when they, it wasn't clear it was. At the same time, it's like who the fuck knows, all right? So it's like uh, that is way less interesting to me than the FBI getting involved uh, with regard and, and the shaping of public consciousness about different, um, uh, you know, theaters of war, conflict that military is operating in. That is real shit to me then. To me, which is more of like a, yes, we have all this shit privatized. We have private communications companies that is pretty important to how society functions. And there's going to be some tension with the political parties on that. It's not that interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is worrying to know that what the Biden campaign is is being able to call in, not just because it's the Biden campaign, because it could just be any kind of campaign, and like setting that precedent is is something that makes me uncomfortable. Beyond that, like the thing about the way that these were released, I like I think disastrous, and I think by by design, there is no doubt about it that there is stuff that
1: is not out.
0: I mean. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's no also, doubt. Like, this yeah, stuff was curated. It'd be was, stupid
1: to not think so.
0: If people remember, everybody was having a field day making fun of Barry Weiss. Um, I can't remember what it was that she was putting out there, but it's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, Barry Weiss doesn't know how to screenshot on her phone um, because she was just posting things that are very clearly taken from an iPhone camera off mm-hmm. of a computer screen, right? And it was roasting from, it's like, well, it actually turns out that they were getting that from um, a Twitter executive. So Barry Weiss was asking a Twitter executive with certain privileges to go and look at certain things and they were taking photographs for her. I bring that up just to say like, so the, the leaks that were coming out were things that were curated. That doesn't mean that what came out is wrong or, or incorrect. It means that it's not like you're actually swimming through all the information kind of situation. And not that I think Barry Weiss or even Taibbi um, would have been pulling other kind of things um, than they ended up doing. Um, but mm-hmm. the point is like, this was like a moderated, um, investigation. Right. Um, so like, and, and it's, and it's put out in a certain way. I think, I think the argument that like the fact that like the FBI stuff comes out way later than the, oh my God. Um, I can't even remember who the right wing folks who were that were, they were, oh, Charlie Kirk or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. we're getting de Like by the time the FBI stuff came out, I think everyone was sort of exhausted, um. With the story, I think that's by design. Um, Yeah, I think it's just like, you know, these are things that, like, we have to just be able to be, you know, smart about. There is a reason that they're coming out. I, like, honestly, my hot take on all this is like, this is just all a setup for, and we've already seen it. It's it's not even something I think is going to happen in the future. Um, You know, our friend Matt Bender got got hit with this almost immediately. Um, You know, that, like, Musk wants to take a more active role in sort of attacking left wing or accounts that are crit- critical of him and all those folks.
1: Well, that's also why there's no charity to Taibi and Greenwald. Cause they're just sitting there setting the predicate for that. And also they'll be there to do enough, uh, hemming and and like, Oh, I don't entirely support this, but also you had it coming, uh, when, yeah. like in parentheses. Um, but yeah.
0: So what I'm saying is like you can recognize all that and also be like hey I think it's bad that the FBI is like playing an active role in deciding what is um good information versus bad information on on twitter.com right I think that we can be able to hold these things in our head at at one time and I don't know just being honest I get frustrated sometimes on our side that that we sort of seem to be at times incapable of doing that
1: Yeah 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 I mean I guess I'm less I I one I do. I get annoyed. I'm glad that we do have people like Branko doing that work, um, because there's an impression trying to be created that that's not being done. But I also like this is an op. Like this isn't a genuine. This isn't like. And I, I like. I believe like Fong's intentions and like who, like the actual journalists that involved. Oh, yeah. This is this is like. I I I, I do think like it's impossible to discuss that. And I understand like people checking out because, because even if you don't think it's an op or even if you're like us, semi curious about what might actually, they might actually surface to sort of justify all this hoopla. um, It's still difficult to read that shit and Mm -hmm. uh, engage with it. In my opinion, Uh, that includes today's which uh, you know, maybe we'll react to in the future.
2: Yeah.
0: Well um, folks, we're going to jump over to the post game. Uh, we have, some uh some fun i'm gonna stuff. get pissed
1: about a similar topic about the same of talking it. about librarians um so we'll look forward to that
0: i mean matt i gotta commend you On your reporting on this has been actually really good um so we're gonna be doing that in the post game talking about how the the kind of trans and rights panic from the right is being used for i don't know pretty typical right-wing shit to good old good there. old
1: enclosure baby
0: yeah um we also have some stuff on everybody's, um, oh, what's the term for him? Andrew Tate. Um, we got some Andrew Tate shit. I have a great clip. I don't think you've seen this yet, Matt. Um, yeah. We'll be talking about that. We'll be taking calls and questions. You can get access to that. Patreon.com slash left reckoning. Uh, did just want to acknowledge, appreciate this uh, super chat from our friend MDR down in Australia. Happy new year's to you. Um, we're stoked for a hundred next week. We'll have a bonus episode up this Sunday for patrons. Yeah. Get access at patreon.com slash left reckoning. And don't forget New York city, baby. January 22nd. It's, a it's coming up. It's under three weeks now. I know. I was kidding. You get better I'm glad I got all my shit figured. I'm flying Southwest. I'm nervous.
1: <laughs> oh, well, uh, it'll sure we, be, be settled by then. David's going to be, uh, calling in from, uh, yes. the airport lounge. <laughs>
0: Oh man, it's yeah. I, that's a whole other thing. Um, another good example about like, why we can't let fucking transportation be controlled by private oh, corporations. Yeah. It's really I, dangerous.
1: Come on, Brandon. Uh, throw Buttigieg under the bus. let just do it, man. Like,
0: it, it's funny. Like Southwest has a pr- pretty like H E B kind of status in Texas. H E B like probably a bad probably bad corporation does a lot of bad things but grocery store beloved i love h-e-b um southwest has a similar feeling for a lot of folks my mom actually um and when i knew someone was fucked up in this in in this company is somebody's lithium like backpack blew up on the uh plane um next to my mom and my mom is just like one of those people. She's like, she sees a problem. She deals with it. So she grabs the backpack and puts out the fire and they didn't give her shit. They did like no condemnation. In fact, they yelled at her for putting out the fire on the plane. And that was my first red flag uh, with Southwest. But anyway, we're not talking about Southwest in the post game, but I was just thinking about that. Um, We'll be talking about Andrew Tate, um, this uh, horrible right-wing trans thing. And some of the, ulterior motives other than just straight up bigotry taking calls and questions and uh, everything else so join us over at the postgame patreon.com slash left reckon
1: we will see you uh there folks uh there